Hello, it's so good to have you with us here at Leadership for Sustainability. This is the podcast where we share our experience to help you draw on the best in human nature and work with the rest of nature so your sustainability initiatives deliver results and make a real difference in the world. I'm Osbert Lancaster, longtime sustainability coach, consultant and trainer and co-founder of Realize Earth. If you're leading on sustainability in your organisation, you need people working closely with you, even if they're not officially part of your team. Today, we're looking at what makes for a good sustainability team and how you can go about building yours. Richard Prophet, my good friend and Realize Earth co-founder, will be sharing his experience of developing an effective sustainability team at PepsiCo. To give us a bit of context, I ask Rich to start by describing his sustainability leadership journey at PepsiCo. So it really started when I was working as a project manager within PepsiCo and they asked me to look at ISO 14001 and implement the environmental management system for the UK uh, logistics operation. Um, so I got into the detail of doing that and delivering that. But but what resonated with me was sort of getting a better understanding of the impacts of the operation and the technical solutions for finding the fixes and the solutions to those impacts and it just sort of led me down a path of increased awareness and wanting to create positive change to deal with those impacts obviously whilst that started with logistics as I sort of dug more into this the rest of the organization opened up and the range of different impacts that we had in different functions um, all sort of started coalescing and coming together and increased my concern to try to create positive change um, so from that, um, I then decided I wanted to go off and get a master's degree in something environmental. Um, so with a view to maybe changing careers or just refining what I was doing. And I was talking to a colleague um, and he had done a program in responsible business practice, which was then held at uh, Bath University. Um, but it had since migrated to Ashridge Business School and it had changed its name to um, Masters in Sustainability and Responsibility. Um, so I ended up going and doing that programme, still with the intent of potentially leaving the organisation. But when I was sort of halfway through that, again, conversations with the same colleague, well, why, why move on? Why not stay and use that knowledge and experience from the Masters to try to affect change within the organisation? Uh, and effectively act as a as an internal change agent and so that that's what I did my me this other colleague and um, three or four other colleagues were together we, we came together in and formed the same team which was looking at uh, environmental sustainability uh, across the European operation for PepsiCo and we were kind of looked at the way we were operating trying to affect change uh, both within our own team but also within the rest of the businesses we we're trying to influence them um, and, that, and that was the work, really. It expanded through what European level, but then we all started, um, for a number of us, started working at a global level. The term team became quite dilute in that we were all working in different teams and functions across the business, but we were still stayed together as a community of interest and a community of action within the, within the organisation as a self-supporting network of people trying to affect change within their own system, within the broader PepsiCo system. And that all becomes important about, you know, how, what what are you defining team? What are you defining as leader? Um, because because 
a team can come from anywhere and a leader can come from anywhere and that becomes important and we'll probably touch on that a little bit more later on um but essentially we went um as a collective team we we our, our scope and remit and responsibility grew and and for me personally it meant um by the end of my time at pepsico i was in a global role responsible for global operations energy climate strategy um across uh, 350 manufacturing sites around the world, plus um, plus some of the co-manufacturing sites that manufactured for PepsiCo but but weren't owned by PepsiCo. And it was a fantastic experience working in one of the big the bigger multinationals in in the world, trying to affect positive change and impact um, and influencing its um, its strategy and its goals. Great, thank you so much, Rich. What I want to do now, then, I think, is you know, sort of to try and extract from all that experience and your experience elsewhere as well, some ad- advice we can give to, to the listener so that they can apply that to develop their own sustainability team, however they're defining sustainability team. And so what I think we should do is we'll take this in three stages. We'll start off with what you were trying to achieve, what kind of team did you want to develop? And then we'll move on to talking about the skills that are required for sustainability leadership. Then finally, moving on to, well, how do you actually go about developing those skills? I'm pretty certain we'll sort of jump around a little bit and they'll overlap. But let's take that as a rough framework. Let's kick off then with sort of, you know, the first question here. What was your main objective and what kind of team is needed to deliver on sustainability? So I think in terms of what we were doing at PepsiCo, I'm not sure there was a cohesive plan in terms of what type of team we wanted to be. And I think it was more about a coalescing and a coming together of people who thought in a similar way or had a similar purpose and drive to create positive change. And I think that sort of leads on to, you know, what's needed for a team. Um, I, I actually think it, it comes from people who have passion and commitment for the agenda. So to my mind, it doesn't matter where, where they're positioned in an organization, what level of seniority that they're in doesn't actually matter. But what you're looking for is that pe- people who are high energy, high passion, commitment, and enthusiasm for the topic. If you bring them together, you can then refine what it is they work on based on their sort of skill sets and experiences. But you can't, I was going to say, you can't necessarily inspire passionate people, but you absolutely can. But it's but it's it's useful to start with a team who already have that passion and commitment because they're then working with a highly motivated team to create the change that is going to be needed. Um, so that would be my starting point. I think within that team, it's also important that they within the team and what you're trying to espouse and bring to the broader organization is this culture of collaboration. Collaboration is essential. You're not going to make much ground without it. And there's a number of internal organizational hurdles you're going to have to sort of think about um, to overcome when it comes to collaboration. But within the team, there needs to be this spirit of collaboration. And that really only comes if the team trusts themselves, trust each other, trust trust the rest of the group. A lot of work will need to be done to build and establish trust. And that comes with honesty and transparency and getting over a lot of the individualistic attitudes that can arise in organizations, you know, personal objective setting and personal goals, because, because often they're focused on what that individual delivers rather than what they can co-create and deliver as a team. So you kind of have to overcome those things. But again, the passion and the commitment, if it's there, kind of trumps those other aspects because that's often the real purpose why someone's there, not the objectives of their role, which are arbitrary kind of 
hate to say it, sort of HRE box ticking uh, rather than actual real purpose why, why someone might be coming to work. So if you can get all those things in places, then you start creating a team that has the potential to be quite effective. And the final piece I think I'd say on this is from a skill set, if you like, and then we'll come more onto skills. But within that team, we need to start strengthening your capacity for empathy um, as a team. So if there's individuals within the team, you can develop strong empathy. So what that does is it really starts making the relationships within the team and beyond the team more effective. And those relationships allow you to start creating the influence that you need to bring about the changes and the interventions for positive action that you want within the organisation. I'd like to take a moment just now to let you know about our next event. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that most people are concerned about climate change and would like to make more sustainable choices in their lives. Despite this open door, most business sustainability initiatives fail to engage staff, and as a result, they miss their targets. The reason is that most initiatives don't pay enough attention to what genuinely motivates colleagues, nor do they recognise the barriers that hold back even the most highly motivated employees from taking action. On Wednesday the 22nd of May, join me and Jamie, the creator of the Most Sustainable Workplace Index, and learn how the index can help you tap into and unlock most employees' latent motivation to do the right thing for people and planet. You'll discover how the index can help you to gather hard evidence of what's working and what needs attention across locations and divisions and seniority levels. You'll identify the focus areas where the sustainability team, L&D, HR and so on, should allocate time and resources to make the most progress. And you'll discover how you can demonstrate year-on-year progress with consistent and comparable data on sustainability culture. And you can use that for action planning, reporting, benchmarking and accreditation. Do join us on Wednesday the 22nd of May. You'll find the link in the show notes. And you mentioned there you know, some hurdles that you know, the team and the people are going to have to overcome. You touched on that a little bit. Is there any other challenges around a collaborative culture that may be very different from mm-hmm. the rest of the organization? Do you want to say a little bit more about, about that and how people might you know, sort of recognize that and, and, and address that? Yeah, I think um, the bigger the organization, often the, the more challenges there are. You're going to get interdepartmental rivalry or silo thinking where you know you're in the sustainability team that's your job i do engineering or i do sales or i do marketing or whatever and a lot of organizations are still blighted by this idea that individual functions are responsible for certain areas and and you've got to overcome that because all all of the functions are interrelated and interdependent uh, particularly when it comes to sustainability so you've got to break down this organizational silo piece uh, I've touched on the the individual objectives and performance, you know, appraisals, and you often see it towards the end of the year. People just get so focused on making sure they've completed their objectives. You know, they, they've got no capacity or scope or willingness to to engage in anything that's not on their list of things to tick off. And so again, it, that becomes quite a challenge. And you know, an approach to deal with that from a conventional perspective is to make sure that the right people have a sustainability goal within their objectives. Because then they've got something there that they have to tick off that would support your agenda and to work in the area that you, you need them to work on. The challenge with that, though, is that's still a conventional approach. It's still a box ticking exercise. It doesn't unlock within them any um, passion or commitment to actually deliver a sustainable change. You know, it's just, yeah, I've done that. I've, you know, we've put recycling waste in, you know, whoopie do um, in the scheme of things. It's, it's not going to make a huge amount of difference. Um 
sorry to anyone out there who's focused on waste management. Um, but um, I think one of the things we did to help break down these sort of these sort of silos and individualism that exists within the organization is, is take what I like to call a sort of more post-conventional approach to leadership, which which was really around disrupting those usual patterns of behavior. Um, so we would deliberately have meetings in different venues. Like we had a farm locally, we'd go and have meetings at the farm, you know, rather than in the corporate boardroom. It created different sounds, smells, you know, we'd go for walks and talks. But what it meant was we were able to disrupt power dynamics. We were able to disrupt the normal decision-making processes, which allowed for new new ways of thinking to emerge, new types of conversation, new potential outcomes and possibilities to emerge, which we could then uh, use to form and create new collaborations, identify new intervention points. Um, and in some cases, even within it, start to create that personal passion within individuals because they started to sort of see some of that nature relationship or nature connection, you know, the impact we have on on more than just ourselves, which you can which you can see when you start getting out into nature. And so and so by deliberately doing that, we were able to kind of start stitching together the different aspects between between functions and, and individuals. So they started being able to work together and, and think differently. Thanks, Rich. So just to pull out some of the key points that Rich mentioned. First, your sustainability team doesn't have to be just your official team of you and your direct reports. You'll achieve so much more if you think about your sustainability team as being a group of people from anywhere in the organisation working together to bring about change. And the second point is this. A successful team needs people who have passion, commitment and enthusiasm. The thing to do is to find these people and work out what they can actually do later based on their skill and their experience. And the third point. To succeed, you need a culture of collaboration. And to get that, you need to build trust and empathy. And the fourth point is you need to break down silos and overcome individualism by disrupting the usual patterns of behaviour. One of the most effective and easy ways of doing that is by getting out of the usual offices and meeting rooms and instead meeting in unconventional venues where you can also get outside into nature. And I'd like to close by leaving you a couple of things to think about. And in fact, I'd encourage you to do this. First, identify who anywhere in your organisation has a passion for sustainability and could be part of your wider informal sustainability team. And then, once you've found them, speak to them. Find out if they're interested in collaborating in the ways that Rich talked about. And then, get started. As always, you'll find a summary of the key points in the show notes at realize.earth107. In the next episode... Rich will be talking about the key skills you need to create change, build relationships, and bring people with you when you're leading on sustainability in your organization. I'm Osbert Lancaster, and I hope this episode of Leadership for Sustainability will help you lead on sustainability in your organization. You'll find additional resources, masterclasses, and programs on our website at realize.earth. That's realize with an S. What you're doing is so important now more than ever. Keep up the good work and be sure to look after yourself. Bye for now.